Hey guys, we want to thank our sponsors, Amigos. Uh, Amigos are based in Portsmouth, deliver the best Mexican food in town. So they're open 12 till 10. Hit this link here or call them up and use the code NJB and get 20% off. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Hello, guys. Welcome to podcast number seven, NJB. My name is Terry. I'm here with Ash. Hi everyone, we're here with a special guest today, Shakiba. She's a sports psychologist, former elite amateur boxer. She was on SAS Who Dares Wins uh, and loads of other things. She's a very interesting guest. So welcome. How are you, Shaq? Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm good. It's really good to be here. It's good to be back in South Sea. Uh, spend a large part of my uni life here. So. When was the last time you were here? When was the last time I was here? I think I was actually teaching or something at the, at the uni. And, that's, and that was like... God, back in January, I think, which isn't that far ago, like long ago, but I guess it's all changed now, is it, with the online teaching yeah, and stuff? So yeah, yeah. Coming as much now. Yeah, but I do. I miss it. I miss the seafront. I miss like the South Sea. It's Portsmouth, isn't it? It's better than I don't want to say better than Southampton, but it's uh, no you get nice views. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shaq, tell us from when you've grown up, obviously in Iran. People yeah. give everyone a bit of an outline about your life. Yeah, sure. God, yeah, where do we start? Um, so I was born and partly raised in Tehran, which is in Iran. Uh, I went to school there up until the age of nine. And due to some political uh, issues with a, family, a certain family member, we had to basically up and leave um, for safety reasons. And that's when we kind of uh, came to England and uh, we were seeking asylum here for safety reasons and yeah kind of settled down on the south coast and from about yeah the age of 10 up until now really it's just been yeah, living here uh, kind of I, I still think like there's still a part of me that's still maybe adapting to like so many different things here I think from the weather to uh, like some of the cultural differences to communication i think like catchphrases that i still haven't like i've never heard of so i think they're still Pizza. yeah i'm like yeah like a lot of Bro. things <laughs> yeah oh i love yeah I'm, I'm quite like i think because of growing up in certain places uh i think my, my lingo is quite like well developed mm. um but so still, what was it like when you first come here did you know any english no no i i no i literally did not know any english i think even like with with, with fa speaking farsi i was still within that you know like at the age of nine with, with any kid learning any language you're kind of mm. still within that elementary phase of like learning and speaking so it was just like uh up and leaving all of a sudden to then go into this like new world that is the complete opposite to what you used to because mm. in iran um it's it's a dictatorship out there um for, for women out there especially like when i was growing up yeah it was really difficult in terms of like your people are oppressed but women are oppressed more so than men were out there uh, still are oppressed but um like one of the other reasons my my parents wanted to uh, kind of up and leave at that time given the kind of uh, safety concerns was also because they knew they had two uh, girls on their hands and i think from a young age they saw that so i have a twin sister and they knew that like with both of us, we were outspoken even at a really young age and always questioned things, like especially mm. at school. And sometimes that wasn't welcomed, like that kind of questioning of why am I doing this? Why am I wearing this? Why are you telling me to, I need to learn this? 
Whereas obviously here, when you question things, it's encouraged, especially yeah, I university. Think curiosity, yeah, curiosity is a big thing here, and sometimes I think in in, in oppressed nations, curiosity is, is could be dangerous, which is, and it shouldn't be. Like I, I love seeing curiosity in, in in children because I think that's how they learn, that's how they mm. find out about the world, and I think for that to be kind of shunned on almost, it, it is concerning, and like I, I will forever be grateful for my parents for like making the decision they did. And I think there is this misconception about Iran that, like, because I guess it is, it's a place bang in the middle of the Middle East, that people assume there's war going on, and it's not. It's, it's a very well-developed country. That was one thing I wanted to ask, because I've got a lot of friends from that part of the world who've yeah. moved here, uh, and they speak always positively about how beautiful the country yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. How was the first, obviously, nine years that you can remember, yeah. how was it over there? Did you find it quite safe? Yeah. Was it quite, a, you know... Yeah. A good place to grow up in? Yeah, it was. I think, uh, it, I mean, nothing would ever take away, like, the beauty of Iran. Like, it will forever be, it has always been a really beautiful country. It's like a country that, uh, a really big country. You you will find four, all four seasons of, uh, within one country. You will, I don't know if snows there? There's snow? Yeah, there's so really? snows. Yeah, depending on what, basically, if you go up, up north or if you come down south, it's got different, like, uh, seasonal weather so you, if you want to have like more snow you would go you would travel to a certain part of the country even mm. in the summer it'd be colder in certain parts of the country and then if you for example travel down south would be a bit more hotter um so you had like almost all four seasons all year round within uh, one country i thought it was just really hot there no no that's like, what I'm that's the conception, I think, again it's that misconception i think the winters are really cold and really snowy like it, it has a a really lovely uh, ski resort in in iran um especially in tehran where i grew up um, and like I was so used to like the scenery of going out and seeing mountains in the background all the time and I yeah. think that was one mass massive thing when I moved here I was like I really missed that backdrop of like mountains because um, imagine like you know every time you step out the door there's always mountains in the background and mm. like that gets embedded in the back of your head and yeah and then you moved to Southampton is that right yeah so moved yeah so moved the view was a bit different yeah, very different. Yeah, the weather. mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> just um, not everywhere. <laughs> not everywhere. Nice, no. a beautiful place. Out yeah, there. it's um, it, it it was nice. Like I think it was just a, a massive shock, and I think uh, also the weather. Like I'm still, I will never ever get used to the cold. Yeah, it's mm. tragic. That's the whole. That's why I left for three years. It's uh, I still can't adapt to it. Yeah, having said that, I think it 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 has a, a cleaner air. I think there's far less pollution here because of course I lived in the capital so there was a lot more travel on cars and uh, like that was far more predominant than it is in, in a far smaller country in a smaller city but I think that also brings far less pollution which is really nice if you want to go out for a run or a cycle or just for a walk especially around this sort of way south yeah way, yeah it's like in the morning it's nice and clear yeah road, yeah it's just like clear air like sometimes like when it used to get really polluted in Iran um, you, you, you couldn't see that be those beautiful mountains. So mm. it's just like uh, everything has this, you know, positives and negatives. But I think the element of Iran was that we were living a relatively comfortable life, family, friends, you know, and then it's just like you have to up and go because of external reasons that are completely out of your hands. Well, that's quite interesting. You say external reasons. Are you, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Like, what were the external reasons why you had to yeah. just up and leave and come to the UK? Yeah, so th there was, like, within... So when the revolution happened in, in Iran... What, what revolution is that, sorry? Uh, you know, so it's fine. Um, it, so it was the Iranian revolution of when uh, the Islamic State came in and basically took over from what was a monarchy. And there was a massive revolution of 
a change in governance, basically. And uh, people essentially voted in the Islamic State with the promise of economically making a country uh, far richer than what it was. And I think greed played a part of that as well. Um, mm. Of course, with the monarchy, it had its issues with, with any monarchy that they, that they have their issues as well. Um, but they were promised a, a better economy. And that wasn't the fact. I think a lot of propaganda was involved, a lot of fake promises. And what happened was that the governments turned into a dictatorship and people had no choice in what was happening. And so uh, everything was forced from religion to certain practices, cultural practices. Uh, everything became forced. So and I think, your human rights were sort of taken away in some way. Yeah, I think it was, a, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the biggest human rights violations was that if you spoke against the government, then you were penalised and uh, within a, if a female, a female, a family member uh, had not, not necessarily spoken against the government, but had, was involved in the process of revolution and they were cracking down on people who were involved in the revolution. Um, and so there was danger around uh, our family. And I think, I guess my parents, you know, they were very young, they were, had a young family. And I think the worst thing was if anyone got caught up in it, any of our family got caught up in it, then their kids would have got dragged into it. And I think... And uh, what were the consequences like? Because obviously here, you would never really see any of that. I'm yeah. guessing like the punishments would be what lifetime imprisonment or... Yeah, I mean, uh, so public, public, I mean, this is really quite grim, but public execution uh, is a common practice out there. Um, so that was reintroduced, uh, execution was reintroduced. It, it depends, like, they, they can give you lifetime uh, for, like, spreading propaganda or going against the government. Um, but it was quite extreme. Again, it goes back to human rights violations. And why is that? That's in the name of... I take it it's in the name of religion. It's, it's in the name of, right? Or it's, is, is that... It's in, I would say it's, it's, it's rather in the name of uh, governance. Uh, we see it in China. We see it in, in, in Russia. We see it in, in a... In a at a certain point in, in, in history, we saw it in Cuba, you know, there was part of that dictatorship governance where if you speak up against the government, uh, you'd be instantly penalised for it. And that their, their way is, you know, not just imprisonment, but actually over time they'll torture you, they'll, you know, execute you. But also it doesn't just extend to that one person, it's your whole family name becomes involved in it, mm -hmm. which can be dangerous. Um, which is really sad when you think about it because, you know, 2022 shouldn't be happening, but of course it still does. It's, it still happens today I've, in Iran and Iraq, yeah? Yeah, in, in Iran, yeah, it, it happens uh, with the current government. Um, uh, it, it happens in, in, in China. I've done a lot of work around, like, uh, the government in China, in North Korea, you know, the, the prime dicta dictatorships. And it goes, again, it goes beyond the concept of religion. Uh, where sometimes I feel like the, uh, in Iran they gave the religion a bad name because of everything they were doing was on the religion and it's like actually no in in, in no religion is there you know, a concept about you forcing something on someone or 100%. you know or yeah. there's no there's no, nothing about uh, violating human rights um, and this is coming from someone uh, who's non I'm not religious and I have my own beliefs, but at the same time, I, I can acknowledge uh, that, you know, there are certain religion, there are, every religion will have its, its extreme side, and mm. every religion will have its peaceful side. Mm. 
and any religion with extreme side is horrific and there's especially if they're running the country some of the people yeah exactly and it's, it's exactly it's like actually that, that exactly what you said that it's that extreme end of a certain religion then uh, gained governance in a country and then now we're seeing the outcome of, it, of, of how have they not only ruined the name of a religion but actually they've uh, they've ended up ruining lives of people and it it, it is yeah and we, we see it in, in so many different religions as well for our history but i just i don't think it's not right in any certain period of history but the fact that we're still seeing it you know in 2022 uh i would have hoped you know by this point like in our lifetime peace and freedom was just a common practice yeah. around the world I remember you saying off air that you're obviously you're so lucky to be in England for yeah. all the rights, but then why why is that such a thing to be lucky to have your human rights? Why yeah. is that not practiced around the world anyway? Yeah, yeah. I think one thing here is that uh, there is a certain element of freedom here, and I think you know the freedom to be able to step out of your house and uh, to go for a cycle, or to walk your dog, or you know to hold hands with whoever you're with. Freedom of speech as well. Yeah, there, there's so many elements of freedom that I think. It's neglected. Of course, there are certain things and there are certain problems within governance, and, and we can't turn a blind eye to that. But I think when we really strip things down and we look at the concept of freedom in so many countries, you know, around the world, you can just step out of your house and not worry about, you know, if something you're you're, you're wearing is going to get you into prison, you know, mm-hmm. or if you're holding hands with someone, that's not going to get you into prison, you know. And I think that concept of freedom as well, it, it it's almost um, for, like almost forgotten about and yeah. appreciated and even like being a woman in iran you said the yeah. amount of difficulties you'd have for... yeah it, it's, it's it's a oppressive place to be for a woman because uh opportunities are not presented to you like how they may be presented to like your male counterparts and um like again i'm not saying this i don't i don't i would never have the intention of like painting iran as this horrible country and i think i always make the point that it's a beautiful beautiful country with the most kindness uh, kind-hearted people that you ever find anywhere in the world and I, I will forever be proud of being from Iran and uh, cherish like everything from that culture but at the same time like I, with anything I can't turn a blind eye to all the wrong do- wrongdoings that are going on here and going on over there or going on anywhere in the world I think it'll be naive of anyone to turn a blind eye to the things that are going on right under our own noses and I think hmm. And I'm aware of that that's happening in Iran. I'm aware of it happening here, but it's on com- it's on different levels, yeah. you know. It's, it's on different levels. It's very easy to see problems outside, but we've but got problems here yeah. as well. And exactly, it's very easy yeah. to ignore those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's it's always having, and I'm really big on this, like having that ability to be able to step out of your own biases and really uh, view things from a, a holistic perspective where. You look at things from like a, almost like a, a wide lens of being able to really critically think about everything. Even you know, if you like something, still like I love my culture, but I'm I'm still aware of things that are not ne- that are not right within a certain culture. And I you know even here, it's I've spent majority of my life here, but I can still step out of you know that that biased perspective and be able be able to like point out things. I think require attention here because they're not right as well and you'll find that in any country you go in any part of the world because governance is involved and I think you know yeah but also it can never be perfect as well that's that's the worst part there's always different types of people out there yeah and that's why I think you know it's important to be a critical thinker because essentially you you can just lead a more peaceful life because you, you, you acknowledge 
the, the wrongdoings of people and the governance, but also the, at least the, the positives of something and things to be grateful for. I think that's important in life. So what are you saying? So I was going to say, how about in, in Iran at the moment, in 2022, is, is a regime, I don't know if you've been back, if you've been back recently yeah, or so yeah, I went is back it quite and... different now or is it still the same from when you first, yeah. Went, which was, how old, so you said nine years old, it's been what, 20 years since then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not giving away yeah, but around about then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around about then. So I went back uh, in 2019, that was my last trip home. Um, and things have changed and it's nice to have seen uh, things change. Like I didn't necessarily have to have my headscarf on anymore. Whereas back, like if I was, you know, if I was 16 even, and I went back and, you know, not worn my headscarf, I would have been penalized and maybe like I might have had like a fine, but I didn't have to have my headscarf on. Um, it was, it was laid, like laid, it was a little more laid back in terms of what women can wear. Uh, as long as you didn't have anything that was really skin tight or see-through, or you didn't have any, like you had to have some sort of like, not really long clothing, but like, I'd be fine if I went out like this with my like coat on. Mm. It'd be fine because you can't really tell if anything's really tight. But if I had like, maybe like my sporting clothes on where it's natural tightly fit, and I wasn't wearing like maybe a coat, then someone would say something. Um, but I mean, if you compare it back to like 20 years ago, that, that is a massive progression, but that progression has been as a result of people, not necessarily because of the governance. It's like Iranian people are just so extremely resilient in, in the face, face of adversity, like, and that's something that's been really like, again, predominant, I think. And we've seen that through history with, with protesting and mm. standing up to government. Um, from the Iranian people I know, strong, proud people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, right, rightly so, I think. We know, you know, what we've come from and what we've achieved. And I'm, I'm a massive believer of, you know, people power and um, and things have changed as a result of people. And unfortunately, people losing their lives in protests. And I like to see, I like to think there's going to be a, like a governance overthrown as a result of people. Um, I can only hope, um, but yeah, things are changing. It was good to see things have changed, but not quick enough. I think women are still getting, you know, penalised for a lot of things. They're still not being seen as equals, mm -hmm. and that's I think where a lot of progression is needed, where women will f uh, are equals to their male counterparts. Yeah, I'm sure inspirational people like you, if you oh, get involved in that, that can you. certainly change change the culture there. If you yeah. see the impact that people are, that women have. Um, in, from that part of the world, in the world yeah. now, that can certainly inspire other women to yeah, stand up and speak up. Absolutely, I think you know when I went over there, I spent a, I spent every day in the gym in the mornings. You know, uh, and I, over in Iran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every morning I was going to the gym. My dad, bless him, he would like drive me to the gym. He would wait out in the car for two hours. Bless him. Your delivery went two hours. You could have done an hour, but you made him wait two hours. I did, yeah. So I'd get my workout done and I'd spend like an hour just chit-chatting to everyone. <laughs> but uh, he was, my dad was like, he's like, you know, my mum my and my dad are like my number one supporters. And my dad's like, you know, I can sit here and comfortably say he is an advocate for women's right. And uh, I think to see that in a man of someone who, you know, who's necessary. generation. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Is such a progressive thinker to, to be able to do to sit there and like be encouraged of that and i again i'm super super grateful for him and for my mum. Mm. and i think much of that comes from the fact that he's married to my mum. like my mum is like the the, the the most influential woman in my life is my mum, and like what i've learned and everything i owe to her and to my, my dad of course um but yeah i would he would drop me off and then he'll go and find a coffee shop bless him and sit mm. there for two hours 
so I'll go do my work. Which one is not join you in the gym? Oh, uh, so he couldn't. It was it, so there were certain hours. Yeah, so there oh, was okay. there was like half. The mornings were, were for for women, and the evenings for for men, and you couldn't mix. Um, but it was really insightful, like speaking to them, and like they inspired me. I know I spoke to so many of them. There was a a really great power lifter there. Like she competed in the in the Asian. Um, Asian uh, Games, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. done like place really well. But she said, her, her some of her family members looked down on her for doing it. They said to her it was too manly, and she was like, oh, "I hate the stereotype," you know. But the thing is, you see athletes like that because I see it in places like India. Yeah, is that they're they're quite the culture's quite. Oh, women shouldn't do this. Women shouldn't. Yeah. Do that. But then slowly they're breaking down the barriers yeah. there as well. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and, and and now they're known in the world for competing in boxing. Yeah, for example. Oh, absolutely. Like India has got an incredible team of yeah. women boxers. Um, and I think we've seen this, you know, barriers breaking down. I mean, even saying that, you know, we, we still see that kind of misogyny here. Mm-hmm. You know, even like if you go back, you know, to, to my own boxing experience, some of the comments like I hear from judges, you know, mm-hmm. and I just think, I guess it was that assumption of like, oh, well, I wouldn't get that here. But I, I, oh, absolutely, I did. And it was a surprise. It was a wake up call. Like, no, that exists. Even, you know, t- today in this culture, it still exists, you know, in a, in a country where women can do practically anything here, it, that kind of uh, perception and barrier still exists. This, the whole stigma, like, yeah, exactly, I, I can't yeah. watch women fight, you okay, hear. What, what yeah. is this? Boxing yeah. is one of those sports that is very much still a dinosaur sport. Yeah, it, yeah. Only because it's got dinosaurs in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you look at it. other sports like swimming, uh, where money investment's going in, they've yeah. got young people coming in all the time. Yeah. Boxing's a sport that you do, shall we say, mainly voluntary. Yeah, yeah. And that's it why is, people yeah. are in high positions are still with that mentality because they're 70, 80 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. So hopefully that slowly changes a new generation come in now. Yeah, that's um, what I like to think. I think, you know, there's some great work being done by uh, some of the England coaches, women England coaches. Uh, and the fact that, you know, there's so many women professional boxers now we see on TV, yeah. I think that's a massive move, you know, and yeah. you've got you've got had hand it to Eddie Hearn, who was you know, he he initiated it essentially. He initiated you know? it, he knew it because you remember Frank Warren. Yeah. When he said years back, he said I will never promote women's sport. Yeah. And then obviously now Nicola Adams it. came, and then yeah. his mentality sort of changed. changed yeah. But Eddie Hearn, from my recollection, was the first one because Katie Taylor messaged yep. him. Yeah. Do you remember that? And then yeah, he said, "I'm oh, yeah. really will go pro and stuff." Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, she, she revolutionised the sport. You can't give absolutely. Also, yeah. She, yeah. What yeah. she did. No, she did. Her. Um, you know. Of course, with Nicola Adams in the 2012 Olympics, I think every woman within boxing have kind of left their own print. Even if you look back, like you know, dates back to 20 years ago, um, like th- there's plenty of like women boxers that you know should definitely do deserve credit from 20 years. Yeah, ago. Have you heard of Mary Com? Yeah, yeah, Mary Com. So she's an Indian boxer. She, she's like so well she, at first she was hated upon because she's yeah but yeah. Th- now she's like a mega star over there yeah and rightly so yeah i mean yeah. after so many years of her dedicating literally her life to boxing because uh, i read like a documentary on her because she had to go up uh to her natural weight is 48. she had to go up to face nicola adams yeah at, at 51 50, 51 52 yeah. yeah she was saying like she just wasn't making 51 she oh, and i was like oh when i started first boxing and um I was really struggling to hit like 50 kg and I was like, oh, like, I'm because they had to move me up because there was barely anyone at 48. And I was like, oh my God, this is how, this is how she was feeling. Like, but at a completely different level, like, no, no, you're going to go up someone who's uh, much, well, you know, three kg can make a huge difference yeah. within that kind of weight difference, you know, especially like a lot of 48 kg girls are uh, like about, you know, five foot two or below. Like, yeah. I'm a quite a 
I'm referred to as like a big 48 kilogram girl, whereas like apparently I'm tall, even though my feet don't. No, I, I was gonna, I was gonna look at that. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, I'm actually referred to as a, a tall 48 kg, which is well, funny. I remember you boxed an army girl. Uh, yeah. I saw one of the shows, and yeah. she she was tiny compared to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I know how much like a couple of kilos, you know. And then yeah. if you go to 51, girls are like towering me, and I'm like, you know. But I had to, because one of the box cups, having a box cup, uh, I think the first year I'd done it, they were like, you have to go up to 51, there's no one in your weight category. And I was like, oh, and then I literally ended up coming up against a, a much taller girl in the finals. Um, and yeah, but for her, for Mary Com to do it at like Olympic level, it's just like, you go. I guess people that are coming, thing is people are coming down from Lucy O'Connor. Do you remember Lucy? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Lucy O'Connor. So she was boxing for GB. Yeah. Uh, she was 60 kilos she used to box at. England boxing told us to get down to 51. Yeah, that's... To, 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 <laughs> that's, box, to box in the Olympics. That's, that's a bit too much, isn't it? Uh, was, she, she, was she natural at 60? I, I don't know how it works. Sorry, 57, she, she, got, she got told to get down to uh, 51. So she used to say that for her, in the morning she has to have eggs. I think eggs with water or something like that. So oh my really, God. Eggs, I don't know what she said, but I remember her telling, telling me she had to do that. And I see a photo of her when she made the weight. She was just... Yeah. Really, yeah. really slim and it, it, yeah, it's uh, not, and it's not healthy. No, not so imagine all, no. people. Are, but I'm just saying, you give me. Imagine people are coming down from 55 yeah, to, to meet yeah. that. And Mary Com's coming up from 48, and even yeah. yourself, you had to yeah. come up in weight yeah. to compete in those championships. Yeah, and it, it made a huge difference. And um, again, hats off to, to Mary Com for doing it. Um, but like going back to you know, to losing that kind of weight, the, like the consequences sometimes can be irreversible. You know, if, if it can affect your menstrual cycle, it can affect hair loss, it can affect performance like so many things mm. like to cut that much weight is just i know it, it, it sometimes it's like a common practice especially in like mma we say we do see it in boxing of course but i think mma sometimes is a little bit more extreme mm. um yeah they drop crazy amounts yeah, of weight, don't like, they? they can't even stand yeah and we and, and the fact that it's, it's an like accepted thing to do i just i know they've introduced some protocols but i just think still if you if you're barely standing on the scale to think you're fighting and especially it's, it's a combative sport like you're literally like in there and like protecting your life hmm. but yeah the day before you were barely standing on the scales you know it's yeah yeah you, you know it takes a lot out of you it does but just going back one stage i'm quite intrigued is obviously you come from iran when you were in iran sorry yeah. when you were nine years old yeah what difficulties did you face when you first come over obviously the language would have been a would have been a difficulty did you yeah. go straight into school yeah um, yeah but, how was that experience in school yeah. for yourself? Yeah, I think coming here, I think the biggest thing was like a culture shock. It's really understanding like what was going on here. And it was constantly like switching from one house in to another house in and then like being in shared accommodation. Um, but having said that, I mean, with my parents, they, like, they always went well above and beyond, you know, trying to make somewhere really nice for us. I, like there was always food, always food on the table. Like I had despite like you know moving away from family and friends i had like an amazing childhood you know mm -hmm. and i would never i wouldn't change anything about it like come you know, being brought up with two loving parents like i i loved it i can't i can't sit here and complain whatsoever i loved it, it was always you know the, you know i've got a twin sister it was always the four of us and they, they just made life really really like a really happy life for, for two for their two kids so again, hats off to them. Um, but I would say one of the biggest barriers was language, like not being able to communicate was really hard, especially as like a 10 year old, you know, all you want to do is like make friends and play. 
and then were we welcoming as a country was it was it quite smooth i would say yeah i wouldn't say like uh i think there was Southampton is quite multicultural as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think Southampton, Southampton. Yeah. I think England as a country, or just the UK, it is a multicultural place. I think uh, even you know back then, twenty years ago, it was still a multicultural place. And then moving along to the south coast, uh, it, it, I wouldn't say like it, it was like dominant, dominant by one race. Again, where I, where I was growing up, it was really multicultural. Um, we had people, you know, that were from the Iranian community, and that was really nice. But um, I would say, like, I would, I would say, I did experience like racism from quite a young age, uh, from again at like ten, year, that kind of ten-year-old mark. Um, but again, I think it, it did teach me a lot of like lessons from really early on, which yeah. is again, I, I wouldn't really change it. Um, but yeah, that was another barrier, and I think not being able to speak to defend myself was really hard because I could understand what they were saying to a certain extent, but it was just like I can't. Kind of defend myself what yeah. you're saying and then it was like trying to tell a teacher that someone is like uh, being racist or saying like stuff that's not nice it was really hard so I was like trying to draw pictures for them and then they wouldn't get what I was trying to say and I was like oh forget it and then I'll end up in trouble because I would have retaliated physically to them hmm. and whether it was chucking a chair at them or like hitting them not like hitting them hitting them but like uh, getting them to go move out of my chair, way. I mean, it is hitting them, I would say. Yeah, well, not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily chucking a chair at them, but maybe like. It's actually worse. <laughs> chucking objects at people. Um, like, yeah, I remember like there was one incident where, and there's always with a group of boys uh, that I was always getting in trouble with, and one of them was like constantly moving my chair, so I I didn't chuck my chair at him, but I pushed my chair towards him to make a point of like, stop like messing with my chair, but then I got into trouble for it. And then mm. I got annoyed because I was like, I can't explain the fact that he was moving my chair about constantly and then he was also saying horrible stuff. And then for me, because I couldn't speak, I was like, I ch pushed my chair towards him to make a point of like, either have the chair or leave the chair alone. Um, and then I was really frustrated, but actually I ended up meeting like two of my really good friends I'm still friends with now through that kind of interaction and them two like stepped in because they could see I was like struggling, but they stepped in and even though we, I couldn't communicate with them, they stood up for me and like, uh, and even now we we joke about it because I'm like, oh, how that got? Because I see those some of those guys still now. Yeah, it was a really interesting way of meeting my friends and um, yeah, like I really cherish that kind of memory with them of of them. Yeah, standing up and like just to know that someone was there for you at such a young age as well, but on behalf of you, like yeah, standing up for you and that was yeah, that was really cool. And I think after that, um, like maybe a year on after that me and my sister really wanted to play football mm. and like we loved football like even in Iran we played oh, yeah, football. Love football yeah yeah loved football like um played at a young age and then when we came here I was like I want to play football still like I don't want to stop playing football so but none of the girls at, at, at like because I joined in end of year four beginning of year five none of the girls were playing football because all the boys always hogged the pitch and then me and my sister like just jumped in and I was like we want to play too like with broken English we had, and they were like, yeah, but we want to play football. And they were like, no, no girls allowed. And as soon as they said that, I was like, right, we need to go buy a football. So we bought a football, brought it to school the next day. And they were like, you can't play on our pitch. And then uh, our friend went on top of one of the teachers and was like, they're not letting us play. They, uh, like, they used to call us Shock and Shack. Shock and Shack want to play um, football, the guys won't let them. And then through that, like, uh, uh, just a couple of us became like a, quite a big group of girls. 
we were like, we want to play football, yeah, like, let us play football. And then so they dedicated half the pitch to us. Wow. And I remember that they used to use the bins in the playground as like goalposts. And then I remember the teachers came out and moved the bins and were like, the girls are having half the pitch and the, the boys were like so annoyed with us. They were like, no, they never played football. Now they used to come along and then now, we're, now they're going to take away, take, take away our pitch. And then, yeah, it was really funny. And then like every now and then we used to like play boys against girls. Uh, and through that, I think in sporting interaction, I started like my English really progressed through sport. Did it and give I... you more confidence as well? Oh, massively, yeah. Sport does, doesn't it? Sport yeah. change it, like, it just the definition of sport changes people's lives. Yeah, um, massively. And I think where sport has always played like a huge role in my life, like my uh, my mum used to be like a physical instructor in Iran for women. Mm. And I you know watching her progress, my dad was always in, into his training. And so obviously we carried that same kind of ethos. And then coming here, like obviously we love football. And then yeah, I think sport is just a language on its own, and to be able to communicate through sport brings everyone with, together. Yeah, it did, and it really, really did. Like, um, just to you know, to have like literally like I would say ninety percent of the girls in our year group were they playing football, and it was something they hadn't done before that, and that was really cool. Like, to to be a, to be of to to be of uh, been able to have like brought everyone together through this same you know passion of sport. Um, even though you know I didn't speak the same language as them at that time, and yeah, it was it was really rewarding. Even at that young age, like I felt like I was finally like in in a really good place to be able to make friends and communicate. And yeah, I think I massively cherish that. I think uh, like sport has done a lot for me. Yeah, so my dissertation was on young offenders and boxing, and it's about rehabilitation and how it can help. And when I did all the interviews at Gym One with James Connor and that. Uh, everyone had the same answers, Aaron as well, yeah. um, of how just the sport brings everyone together. It doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, what money you've got, you know, what colour you are, male yeah. or female. Everyone was treated the same. Everyone had to put in the same amount of work. And if you showed that you turned up and worked hard, then you got your coach's attention. Yeah. And uh, it was admirable, you know, like lots of people would mix in there. It's like Terry put up a quote recently. Uh, that's quite famous saying like you've got ex-cons um working with, with police, police officers, officers yeah and, yeah i've seen that yeah, yeah. it's it's, it's good it brings everyone to, like the olympics and stuff you know every, everyone's together every, everyone just loves i think sport's brilliant in that yeah. sense I, I've, I've played a lot of sports and i think the one that does it the best is boxing yeah like, but boxing as you said is the is the only sport that i know and i've been involved in where yeah. you see ex-cons mixed with police officers yeah. you see black mixing with white Asians yeah. and over everything yeah that was one thing that brought me to box close to boxing as well you might know this is when I was in school it was completely different I went to a school that was predominantly a white white school so yeah. I was the only sort of Asian person in the yeah. school so I experienced that sort of racism that aspect of it but when I gave came to boxing it gives you that confidence and that belief yeah, that you can mix with other yeah. people yeah and it introduces you to other characters as well yeah oh my god um, it did so <laughs> To, about your boxing experience, did you have a similar experience with that yourself? Yeah, for sure. I think. Uh, Wait, when did you start boxing first of all? As well, quite intriguing. Yeah, so I started in 2014, I think. So it was second year of uni, maybe even like actually probably end of 2013, going into beginning of 2014. Um, and I so I started like I went to two mm. kickboxing sessions, and I really enjoyed the intensity of it. I hadn't done any combat sports, um, but I didn't like getting kicked. I hated getting Nor kicked. Do I. Yeah, I'm take punches, hate, yeah. kicking, <laughs> punching all day. But I can't kick myself. I hate, I hate kicking, and I like. I, I got told off one time in sparring for like kicking someone too hard, and then I was like, well, I, I either kick or I don't. And then I was like, right, let me go. And I used to stay behind and watch the the boxing. And Wayne used to t coach the uh, the boxing in Portsmouth. Yeah, is that, okay. yeah. Um, is it was this when you were at university? Yeah, 
Yes, yeah, so do you remember Wayne? Wayne Garner, yeah, he's yeah, my coach yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, yeah so... So was this a Jim one where you Yeah, started? so this was a Jim one yeah. Um, yeah, m- m- much of my boxing journey has been in Jim one and, like, I've, yeah, I've, that gym has been amazing to me. Um, and, yeah, so I spoke to Wayne, and Wayne was quite militant, and he was like, you can come to one of our sessions, but just know we don't treat you any differently. And I was like, perfect. That is a perfect place for me because I don't want to be treated any differently. And it was really serious. Like, and I wanted something that you know was was really serious. Mm. Um, I didn't want to just turn up for just just for that fun element. I wanted to go because I wanted to really push myself. Um, and I think in 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 that moment of time within like university, I decided that I didn't want to drink. Um, and I just, and it would have been good. I just thought, you know, um, I think there is this stigma with students where, you, you know, all you do is drink and go out. Yeah. And by the second year, I was like, I, I want to take a break from like drinking and I don't want to drink. Um, I don't want to, you know, go down a route where I'm, I'm, I'm losing focus. So I, I wanted to refocus. And I remember I was like, oh, I've tried boxing. And, um, and when I started doing it, they were like, I think they were like, in season, Wayne was like, nobody drinks, you don't eat, you don't eat crap, you look after yourself, you know, because we want to put the best of you in that ring. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm up for this. Mm. And then I remember joining and there were people there like, oh, um, we're not drinking. And I was like, oh, cool, okay, I'm, I'm not, I haven't drunk for like, uh, like, I think at that point it was like two months. And I was like, this is cool, you know, and like, we'd go out as a team and like, we'd go and, you know, get food or whatever, but... It wasn't constantly orientated around drinking. It was like training and eating good food. And I really felt like, I was like, yeah, I found my people. Like I felt like this was a really nice environment. And like once, you know, I think you, you mix with the people in there, you just realize how much you have in common with like so many different people. Mm. And our passion for boxing was always there. And like the fact that we could meet up outside and go for runs together. And it was a real community. But also I think what made it different was that the element of the sport isn't a team sport, but the team spirit is really high. Yeah. And that's one thing that I would often cherish from that sport is that, yes, when you go in the ring, it is just you and that opponent and no one else. But actually, you have a whole army behind you and that nothing takes away from that. Yeah, so it was just, you know, coming across this group of people that are like-minded. And I think actually with, with, with boxing, there was a really interesting element of the people that, you know, you get to know that they watch you through, like, your lowest to your highest. Well, you know... Uh, training really hard, you know, having really hard sparring sessions, um, to then winning something, you know, and get such a high from it, mm. to then maybe losing or having really, you know, not a great training session. And I feel like they really see you at like your lowest points, but also your highest points. And again, you don't get that in every sport. And that was another like element of it. And it is a contact sport at the end of the day. I think it, it's it's a really raw sport. Yeah, it requires discipline and yeah. you have to dedicate yourself. And yeah. it was the same for me at uni. Like, it was, I had two routes. I could either go drinking with my group of friends yeah. and, you know, just have that lifestyle of a student. Or yeah. when I went to Gym 01, it was, you know, you dedicate, you, you're not drinking, you're eating healthy, you're, you're around people that are positive-minded, that are trying to better themselves. Yeah. And you're all, you're all trying to just be the better version of yourself yeah. every day. Yeah. And, like, that's, that's saved my mental health as well. Yeah, um, it so, does. Yeah, and um, and it was I think uh, just meeting like certain people within that group that I'm still friends with. Like especially like I found that like I, I met a lot of girls through that sport that I get on just naturally really got on with them and we naturally had a lot in common. Mm. And it was that was really interesting for me because it was just nice to like meet girls, especially girls, because you know I think throughout my involvement in sports, I'd I'd meet like 
quite a few, like a few guys and you know we get on and stuff but i think it's different when you when like i'm meeting another girl because i'm like well obviously we're both the same gender but also we, we have some a lot of things in common and i think that's a really special connection to have with another woman and like we could speak about stuff that you know obviously girls want to speak to girls about and that was really that was really special and one of my really good friends demi um like we both started kickboxing together and then both made the transition together in boxing and both of us like we went to sweden together in golden girls and like it was just nice to have that like relationship with her in terms of like we were so relaxed around each other and we could literally talk about anything and like we knew each other really well and like just giving her a look she knew like if i was really pissed off or not but she can give me a look and i'll be like okay yeah, i need to go to have a quick chat with her and it was just really nice to meet those kind of groups of people um and yeah i think it 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 done a lot for me i think not just confidence but i feel i felt a lot more protected like just to know that i can throw a punch you know that made me feel confident going out and, and i think especially as a you know a petite woman uh it made me feel confident being out and about even if i, if I wasn't on my own just knowing that i can throw a punch and it also humbles you as well. Oh, it, I've got massive Like, you know, you, you see most people that like to get in fights when they go out. None of them fight. Uh, no. So, like, you know, when you actually see people that are in the gym training, they yeah. know full well, even though they can throw a punch. Yeah. They know just how good so many other people are and yeah. how many levels there are that you're very humbled. Yeah. You're yeah. very respectful. Yeah, 100%. Like, hum I'm definitely humbled. Not that I was, I was never an arrogant person, but I think there was an element of humbleness that I, I didn't know about until I started boxing. But also, if they did give me this weird thing that I still do to this day, where I size people up. I do like, that. I do that. Can I take them on? Can I do I, that. What combination that. should I? You know, what combination would take them out? I do that. I remember, I remember when I was when I'm when I'm working all the time, and I see people like six foot four, like big guys. I'm like, right, I would do this to them. I'll do that to them. Right, I just keep jabbing and moving. I just keep jabbing yeah. it. I'll wait till he gets tired, and then I bang get him yeah. with that. Do you know what I mean? That's the yeah, thing you do Yeah, oh my god, yeah. And I'm like, right, like he's like five foot six. So if I run circles around him for like three minutes and gas him out. You know, one what, what do you do against home. me and Ash? Start with Ash. I'm not going to tell you now. Right? <laughs> Come on, tell me so I know. I'm not going <laughs> to be careful of. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my car key and I'm off. Have <laughs> <laughs> you got any space in there? <laughs> Give away my game plan. Yeah. What, what got you into boxing? Um, I think it was I wanted to make that transition when I was at uni, really. Um, that was the main thing. And I think I was looking for something just really new. Again, mm. I, I hadn't picked up a pair of gloves or anything. Um, and yeah, that that's why I approached. And Gym One was like a, a really friendly place because I think boxing gyms can be intimidating if you've never been to them. But um, going to Gym One, yeah, because once I started boxing, I was traveling around different gyms a lot, and I just realized how just how good Gym One still is. And like I would always go back to there, like if I want sparring or if I want to just go train. If I can, I'll get myself down to Gym One. But it really made me realize again as like as a woman it was a safe place for me to be um both like gareth and brian uh, the, the owners of the gym were just super friendly and like um just always like were really reassuring about you know if there was something up they'll listen and then they'll take it on and they'll uh, like if there was an issue they'll resolve it and it wasn't like you know i didn't feel uncomfortable with them like i felt like i could tell them anything and it wouldn't be like a personal thing with them they will just like deal with it and like sort any problems out and again i find that that's just quite rare and i think for mm -hmm. them you know it's their business and they, they take really like special care of people again that's quite rare to find so it's a real special place i've got like 
a lot of time for Jumai One. Of course, uh, my partner trained out of there. Um, so there's the history of that and uh, the fact that we, we both have like a history with Jumai One. So your um, partner was a pro MMA fighter? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and so I used to see him every now and then. Like, he used to like, because as I started boxing, he'd just finished his MMA career. Um, to then open up what's now our, our gym that we run together. What's the gym then? Move Training Centre. That's based in Southampton, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. So we run that together. We've been running it together for the last six years. And that's, it's based on calisthenics training, so bodyweight training. Um, but so before Owen started there, he was kind of wrapping up his, his, his pro career at Gym 01. But he would still come in and I could do some sparring with people. And at that time, I was working on reception. Um, uh, so again, I always say Brian and Gareth really, really helped me out at uni and I was working at Jumai One at a reception and I used to see like Owen come in, come in every now and then I'd be like, who's that guy? Like, he's so hot. And then, <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh, he's looking at me, I'm going to look away. But um, yeah, and, and it was weird because like uh, behind the, the reception when I was working there at the time, they had like all the shock and awe DVDs and Owen's face was on like on four of them. And like, it's just weird to think like, I was cleaning these like DVD covers with his face and so I was always looking at him. And it, to me, like when I like retro, retrospectively look at it, I'm like, oh my God, he was always there. I was always looking at him. And then now like, obviously like we're, we're together. So yeah, it's just like- Jim one really sorted you out. It, they really did. They genuinely really did. And um, and I remember like when, when me and I went down to the train, uh, Gareth was like, what's going on here? Oh, and you, you leave us through, yeah, and you come back with one of our boxes. And um, and then obviously we spoke to Gareth and I was like, yeah, so we both actually ended up living in Southampton at the same time. And I was looking for a coach in Southampton to just to do some pad work to get ready for nationals. And um, that's how I, re I reached out to Owen. I was like, uh, I realised uh, you, you were at Jumo One and I'm looking for a coach in Southampton. And then we met up and um, literally sparred on the first time we met and he nearly knocked me out. So what a lovely guy! Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's really trying to make an impression on you, isn't he? Yeah. No, I was like, he was like, when he added him, he was like, we don't need to spar. And I was like, I was like, no, go on, tell him you want to spar. So you know, you seem really hard. And like, and then I was like, yeah, let's spar. Come on. And he was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like round two, catches me with the most beautiful right hand. And I was like, oh my god. And you know when you see just start seeing stars, Star. yeah. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, keep, let's keep going. And he was like, no, let's just sit down for a second. And then we sat down and like four hours later, we were like chatting about life. And it was the most like organic way of meeting someone. And I'm like, right, you're getting punched in the face. The yeah. most organic way of meeting someone. I was like, great. You can it already was. get better from there, really, <laughs> yeah. can Yeah. And I was like, you've already seen me bleed. You've seen me really sweaty. So anything from here onwards should be nicer. Um, and yeah, it was just a really organic way of meeting someone. And, and again, it was just like through, you know, boxing. And like, again, I always say boxing has done so much for me, but to know that like, you can even find love in it. It's just really amazing as well. Again, it brings it back to that like raw nature of boxing. Mm. That it can, it can, yeah, it can do a lot for people. But yeah, also you guys are both very disciplined. You got a lot of drive. I think you got so much in common. Yeah. That, like obviously, it doesn't do like ultra marathon running or. Yeah, so we did like some ultras together. Well, God, how far is an ultra marathon? Um, so it's anything above like forty-five k. Um. There was a race that I went done that was 145 across Snowdonia. 145k? Yeah, and it was like across Snowdon, so Snowdonia National Park. Yeah. And then I, I so basically I paced him. Um, like he hadn't done 
uh, like an old show before and I was like, right, I'll, I'll pace you for it. Um, where I would like basically jump in, in like in the long legs with him of the race. And then I'll jump off quickly for like maybe 10K, I'll prepare food and then I'll jump back in again with the food and then jump back out and like maybe if he needs some, something like extra water and then grab it and meet him back on route. What does he have to do for the race then? What, what does he eat and drink whilst he's running? Is well, that... it was like, because it was like such a, like maybe if it was an 80K one, you you wouldn't necessarily need like food food. You'd probably just get off on- uh, like gels. Just, yeah, use gels or like maybe sweets. Because it was like 145, uh, sandwiches like was the go-to thing really of making sandwiches. Got ham butter, your mile literally, sixty. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it is honestly like when you reach that kind of like certain phase within those races, I remember looking at like a I think I'd made like a Biscoff sandwich and I was like, This is the best thing in the world right now and I remember eating and being like, Oh like in the middle of the mountains and it was the sun was just coming up and I was like, Oh, this is nice knowing like we still had 30k to go until like oh, that's yeah. Nuts. Hey, yeah how does it it just sounds crazy i can't in my mentally i can't fathom that how someone can do that 145 yeah. like yeah it was yeah i was gonna ask how long did it take him to do that oh top of my head i have no idea but he placed like top 10 and for him to like a lot of people dropped out of that race i think that was one of the hardest races they, they do wow. and a lot and i can see why people do drop out um is it is it like 24 hours people got to do it yeah, I think you have like a three-day cut-off, so it, three day cut yeah, off. you can take okay. your time and literally walk the thing. Um, but obviously, a lot of people do run it. Um, but towards the end, and obviously, where me, me and Owen hadn't done it like at that kind of distance before, Owen's feet were just messed up, like massively messed up, swollen. Mm. So he was just walking really fast on his like walking sticks, and I was just just a little bit in front of him, just so like just so I was pacing him. But like sleep deprivation was crazy like not sleeping for like two and a half days and just running in the mountains the stuff you start seeing it's like your mind just plays tricks on you and like especially if you when you're tired but it's also being like sleep depth is just in that whole other level like of hallucinations just i remember we were running and i think we had like maybe 10k left until the finish line and i was just constantly like 10k left 10k left and every K I'll be like 9K left, 8K left. And I'll tell Owen like, right, 9K left, 8K left, you know. And then like in my head, every K I had like a, a food prepared. And I was like, right, in 2K time, I can have my sandwich. Mm. In 3K time, I can have these chocolate. Um, and that's why I kept like doing in my, not for the whole like race, I was run out of food, but towards the end, that last leg, that was really hard. But then I was battling with hallucinations. I, we went past this bit where there was like loads of double decker buses. Mm. And I was convinced it was a dragon. I was convinced it was a dragon. I was like, oh my God, there's a dragon. Oh my God, there's a dragon following me. And then I'll be like, oh, there's a dragon. And he was like, what? And I was like, there's a dragon here. And then now looking back on it, it was really funny. Like, it was a really funny thing to go through, but yeah. at the time. But putting your body through that as yeah, well. What was yeah. your mind was, through that as yeah. well? What was the recovery like? Yeah, it took, it took Still us... recovering from it, aren't you? <laughs> you imagine, yeah. You said you saw dragons on the way in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mentally haven't recovered yet. Yeah, I think it took, it took Owen a lot longer because, of course, he did, he did the whole 145, whereas I could jump off and off, off, off the course. But, um, like, our feet were both, like, ruined. Um, I think after, like, maybe... I, I took off about, like, maybe two, three days and then I started, like, cycling a little bit. I only took off a good two weeks, and rightly so, because like his body was ruined. Um, but I didn't want to just sit still for too long. I was like, I want to try and recover in the best way possible. But yeah, it was it was really good. It was a really good learning experience, and I think it 
I think it would if if like couples were to do it, it would make or break them. And it was a really interesting test. But yeah, I, I would do it again. I, I've really enjoyed it. Really, really in a weird way now looking back at it. I did. Have you got any planned this year? No, no, nothing this year. No, no. I think more so because I think uh, a lot of companies are only just putting the races out, because of course, because of COVID. But um, I will, that was a winter like race. I'm going to do mm. a summer race where I don't have to like be on, be on like the brink of dying because of the cold. So I wouldn't mind doing like an ultra in, in the summer. Just so you know, it's just nice and warm. It makes such you, a huge do difference. Do you run normal marathons? Not really, no. Have so, you ever done a normal marathon? No, I haven't. <laughs> no, I just jumped straight into the I've never run a marathon, actually. So what type of training did you do for that, something like that? We should have done far more training. We, we were just like, I just signed up to it and do it. Um, but we should, like, I did it, the, I trained for it the following year. It didn't quite go to plan the following year. Um, but I, I did like three months of like, long runs and conditioning like for running um but Just i was aggressive overload yeah exactly yeah yeah and then taking like a deload weekend and going back on it again but yeah it, it was like I, I enjoyed it um i really enjoyed like the element of being out in the mountains and that's why like with with marathons to a run as well i guess doesn't it yeah it does and i always say like i, I do truly like I, I love being in the mountains because it reminds me of my childhood mm. and like my dad and my mum took us to the mountains like when we, when we were children as well so i love being in the mountains um but yeah i think if i was to do a marathon it would have to be in the mountains like i don't think i'd enjoy the element of like a road marathon unless it's something like really like just if it has like n like nature around it, I'll do it then. But otherwise, I'd, I'd want to do a marathon in the, in the mountains. When I did the Brighton Marathon, the last you few miles, yeah. you literally you're just looking at the like there's like a power plant there. Yeah. This big concrete oh, thing, and you're just sort of running at it for, for what feels like days. Nothing's moving. It's like yeah. you're on a treadmill. Yeah. And it's just like what? When are we gonna get here? Yeah. Uh, I can imagine. Hey, what type of training did you do for your marathon? Did you do training? Did you go straight into it? Uh, I did like two runs, no, three <laughs> runs, three runs before. Long uh, ones or quite like a mile runs? I, <laughs> I did like a ten k. Okay. A 15k, and then I think I finished. No, no, sorry, I did a, a five miler, a 10 miler, and I finished on a 20 miler. Oh, okay. Um, but the nice. day before was my dad's 50th, so I was drinking Guinness and. Oh, no, I think you was, was a, Yeah, you do that quite a bit, don't you? Yeah. Big occasions. Yeah, it was, it was a nightmare because going into it, like, I knew it would be tough and everything, but obviously with boxing fitness, it's weird how explosive power helps you in endurance. Yeah. What do yeah. like, you think? 100%. Because like, I, I, also, I was quite a chubby kid. So like I could always go for days, but never very fast. And then when I focused on the intense side of work, when I was doing endurance stuff, like, like ultramarathon, I can sort of just switch off and run for hours. So um, the only problem is you run out of music. It can get quite boring. Yeah. That's why you said running in the mountains, you know? Yeah. It's probably beautiful, but yeah. if you're just road running or you're on a treadmill for three hours, yeah. you know, it's, for me, that, that's, that's so boring. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I would, I'd love to do an ultramarathon. I think I'm guessing for you to test your mind and like you know like just to push those boundaries like david goggins style it's uh yeah, that's it, cool yeah. i want to try half a marathon before i try anything like that you do it why not uh, half i've told ash on, on my list this year on is half marathon uh maybe a marathon if i could if i, if I, I like think you can do it yeah why not yeah man so we'll, we'll see how it gets on but you got, uh, going back to your boxing sort of record yeah so did you get how many fights how many belts did you have did you compete for how, or how long did you box for yeah so i boxed from 2014 to like the first month of 2016 and i had i think yeah overall 16 bouts in those two seasons yeah 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 so right. i managed to fit in quite a lot of fights within a short period of time hmm. 
and then of course I, I started my, my PhD and then I had to kind of cut back on, on, on boxing and competing yeah. because it was a lot to do all at once um, but well, yeah I enjoyed it that's quite interesting because we were on we did our sports management together Yes. No, you did your sports psychology. I did sports I psychology. Did I did sports, sports management. management. You did yeah. it. Were you boxing during that period, or did you? Did you? I was, but I was kind of facing out of it at that point. Um, I think I knew I, I wasn't going to take on too many fights. Hmm. I think uh, I gave nationals another shot and maybe had another fight afterwards. Um, and then uh, and then we, we we got a puppy as well. And then <laughs> so I got Bruce Lee and Mike Tyson. Shout out to my husky puppies. Um, what they call Bruce Lee and Mike Tyson? Yeah, two two Siberian nice. Huskies. Absolutely, yeah, love them, love them my lives. And yeah, so when we first got Bruce Lee, it was at the like uh, I think three months into my masters, and I was like, this is really full on, like mm. uh, having a puppy, having the gym, at the gym, working and then doing my masters, and then you know all the training for boxing. So I was like, yeah, I knew I only had like a few more fights before. Oh, I had to just like stick to doing a master's and then doing a PhD. But what was your master's research in or your dissertation? Yeah, so for my master's, I was looking at the the challenges of women boxers and then the strategies they used to overcome those challenges. And it was really interesting. So we, I looked at the challenges they experienced, like as a novice boxer, so you know coming into it, and then as it like going through that developmental phase of boxing, and then kind of the the challenges at the elite level so it was essentially broken down to these three uh, time time periods and it was really interesting because the what challenges, challenges were they so in the, in the novices it, it was basically like uh coming into boxing and getting sparring for them um but this is so the, the, the people i i mean for confidentiality i can't say who they were but they some of them uh had competed for like uh gb and they were like part of the one of the first like woman group of women to to compete for GB in 2012, at least the lead up to it. Um, and they were just saying, you know, when they first started, which would have dated back to like maybe some of them to 2007 or six, they were saying, you know, that it, going into and not seeing another female was like a really big thing for them, and mm. it was alienating. Some of them said they experienced a lot of like sexist, uh, you know, uh, remarks. Some of them said they experienced sexism, racism. Uh, some of them said, you know, it was uh, like homophobic, homophobic comments towards them. And that was like the initial kind of, I guess, shock to the system for them. And then they were obviously they're stuck, stuck by it. Um, and they said when they went into developmental kind of uh, phase, it was not just a sparring now. So they were struggling to get sparring, but also like they said there was a, a common ground for a lot of women boxers where they weren't getting taken seriously. And they were like, you know, on the coach's behalf. Yeah, and they were like, they said, you know, um, they would turn up and they'll do the same training as the guys, but for some reason they still wouldn't get taken seriously. And like there were comments thrown around about them not taking it seriously. And they were like, they made a, a massive point about the fact that they were constantly having to prove themselves, whereas the guys didn't have to go necessarily go through the fact that you know you have to constantly prove yourself and get ignored constantly and constantly until like you've shown that you're going to keep turning up. And we, like we spoke about that yes there has to be a level of self-discipline and persistence for, for any boxer because you know it's such an important sport but also it's a sport that you risk so much going into a ring or even sparring but they were saying it was the the lack of like acknowledgement that they're there and they want to they want to be sparring they want to be getting you know uh, in, into those rounds where they, they have to really push themselves so that was you know that was interesting to hear 
And then in the elite phases, they were saying um, there was like a, a lot of expectations put on women that were like, they were expected to meet the same like benchmarks as men, but without the acknowledgement that physiologically there's going to be differences between men and women and because of the genetic makeup. And then they said, you know, speaking about the menstrual cycle was like a no-go basically, even though, you know, our menstrual cycle affects women's performances a lot. And um, I'm doing like, a, I actually did, like I went up to the Institute of, of Sport up in Sheffield and I, I gave a talk to um, all the GB, all the current GB coaches. That was really interesting. You know, I spoke to them about menstrual cycle and actually if, we, how, if you train around your menstrual cycle and utilize it in terms of the, the hormone functions, you can actually train really optimally and use the hormones and the menstrual cycle to, to a woman's advantage. Could you say, that for any females that are listening, could you try and say what, what you told the team? Yeah, of course. So it was basically broken down into the different phases of, of their menstrual cycle and basically almost like the do's and the don'ts. And, and Owen, he done like the strength and conditioning side of it. And I covered like the psychological part of it, but also like things for coach to be aware of. So for example, there are certain phases in, in your menstrual cycle where a woman uh, shouldn't necessarily train things that are, are going to agitate or put a lot of pressure on that, for example, on, on, on elastication in their body. So ACL being a, a huge factor in that. And, the, you know, there's been studies done where it, it's it's uh, basically found that uh, during a certain period of your, your menstrual cycle, uh, females are more likely to get ACL injuries uh, because of being in that phase and where the hormone that makes your joints more elasticate, not your joints, the the connective tissue more elasticated, uh, are more prone to getting injuries within the ACL because of the phase of the menstrual cycle and because of the hormone production. And what phase of the menstrual cycle was that? So this is basically the phase, um, uh, it's the period, bit, uh, I think it's 10, uh, 20 to 10 days before your menstrual cycle, just before you come on basically, where there's a production of hormones. That so for increase. that 10 to 20 days, you're more at risk? Yeah, for women, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that's, that's the phase uh, it is. I'll say I'm going to check my notes, but I don't have notes with me. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that uh, that's the phase. And it was just, you know, and then there's certain periods where, so the first couple of days of, of your menstrual cycle, you're, you could be more like, you could more likely hit like personal uh, bests uh, within strength programs, even within running programs, like, uh, short fast kind of like sprint again because of hormone production it is of course it comes down to the individual like how the individual feels if you feel like you're bloated and like uh, you feel a bit deflated and of course you know you don't want to train and again those are you know the same to the coaches those are some uh, common symptoms that women do experience on the first couple of days or even like just after uh, like that kind of midpoint of, of their menstrual cycle where they will feel deflated because of certain hormones kind of reducing um, and just to be mindful of that, and you know, if, if the woman is making weight, they're going to carry a lot of water retention. You know, they can carry up to two kilograms of water retention um, when they're coming on their menstrual cycle just before, and they get very bloated. And you know, if, if you're fighting, say, at 50 kg, you're suddenly 52. You know, you need to take those things into consideration, and yeah. that would differ, you know, with women. And we were saying, like, let your boxes know, for example, during that phase, try and avoid like really salty food. Um, just because of you know the absorption, um, and yeah, for them it was really interesting. I think at first there was there was, there was two female coaches and the rest were guys, and I think there was about twelve coaches there. At first, I think people were a bit hesitant and maybe uncomfortable with the men, not the woman. 
but towards the end they were asking so many questions I was so open to like just talking about you know saying period and saying menstrual cycle and saying bleeding because it is absolutely a natural process that women go through and like none of us would be here if you know if if uh, our mothers hadn't gone through the menstrual cycle and that's a known fact and it's just you know removing the stigma talking about it from a, a logical perspective and also from a perspective where we can help the boxers mm. um, really, you know, become optimal in their training. Did you experience difficulties when you were boxing from like coaching and like making weight and stuff like that? Yeah, I think I think I was really lucky to have like Wayne and then uh, Connor, so James Connor, to really understand the knowledgeable coaches. Mm. Um, I think my 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 like struggles or things I saw were probably from uh, like again other coaches. So like when we were at competitions. I remember there was a competition that, that was at um, and it was a, like a boxing cup and we'd gone out uh, just to get food and it was quite late at night and I saw one of the judges and he was hammered <laughs> and he was just he was still wearing his like his boxing uh, like suit. Was this on the way to the event? Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seen the way some of them judge. Yeah, I know, oh my God. Um, this is afterwards and he was like, oh, yeah. oh, you one of, you know, are you one of the boxers? And I was like... Oh. That's a great drunk expression, by the way. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he started start chatting to me like, I think it was going to burger and I was just getting some chips. And he was like, oh, uh, you know, I don't think you should be boxing really. And I was like, all right, okay. And he was like, yeah, you know, uh, I don't think women should be boxing. I wouldn't mind my daughter or my grandkids in there. No, no, definitely not. And I was like, wow, okay, that's, a, that's a judge saying that to me. And he's like, yeah, I don't think, you know, it's not really your place to be here. And I was like, oh, you're hammered, one. And two, like, you're a judge. For you to be saying that and to know that you could be judging my fight tomorrow, mm. like, I don't want to hear that. Like, you, and plus, I'm like, who are you to tell me I don't belong in somewhere? And who'd you complain to? And did you did you do that thing where you line people up? And, what, you know, what should I hit them with? The one, two? Or did oh you do God, that thing with head. There was at least 30 punches in there. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was like a Tekken game. Yeah. <laughs> this guy was massive as well. Was he already? Yeah, he was like this, like, six-foot guy, quite wide. And I was just like... You know what? I'm, I'm not here for this. I was just, I just got my food. And Did you ever this. get his name or anything? Or no, no. I just, I think I was so tired that day I as well. I would have shamed that guy. Yeah, yeah. I would have been going, kind of shamed him right now. But yeah, never mind. Um, it was just yeah, like hearing those kind of little sniggering comments, and I was just a bit like, ugh, not here for this. What um, year was that? Was that? What year was that? That was roughly? 2014. Oh, the f and first year in boxing. Yeah. So there was another like there was a boxing show that me and so there was Helen there. And Helen was, she took me for pads and she was cornering my fight. And this fight was in Maidstone. So <laughs> Luke said that he watched me at this fight. It was a Gurkha show, actually. It was an uh, amazing boxing show. Luke loves his boxing, doesn't he? He gets around That's around it every day. Yeah, oh, it's your club. Yeah, okay. it is. Yeah. Who did um, you box? It was, uh, I can't remember, it was a local girl. I can't remember her name, but yeah, she was good. She was game. Um, she actually handed me my first loss, but rightly so, she was really good. I think she was like, she'd had, this was my second fight and she had like seven fights. But I did say to Wayne, I was like, I want a hard fight because... That's another problem in women's boxing too, right? With the, the experience gaps and Yeah, and matched. I think with, with my first fight, I won it by like TKO in the first round. And I was like, oh, I wanted like, I wanted to get tested. And like Wayne was like, right, literally put me right in the deep end. But then like the fights that I followed afterwards were all TKOs again. So it taught me like a good lesson from my second fight. Mm -hmm. And then, what, what, what do you think that is as well? Like, do you reckon it's your mentality, or do you reckon you, you train harder than these girls? What what stood you out from? Yeah, I think I, I I know I train hard. Like even to this day, I know I train really hard. 
Um, but I think as soon as like it gets tough, I, I, I don't back away from it and shy away from it. Like I want more, if anything. And I think sometimes when things get hard, people, you know, whether you're, you, you're anyone, you know, a man or a woman, you would, you could potentially just shy away from it. Mm. Um, and just ride it out until like the bell goes. But for me, I was just like, no, like this is my two minutes or now when yeah. it was three minutes actually towards the end of my boxing career. I was like, you know, three minutes where I can just go all out. Yeah. Uh, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. If it doesn't, it does, great. It's, it's quite interesting because people would have to train to be that way. But we as humans are, are taught to obviously try and stay away from that danger zone, aren't we? Yeah. Try to be in that safe area. When we feel like, oh, we're in, we're in danger, we try and run away from it or go in our shell or something. But you've actually trained your brain to actually go towards that. Yeah, yeah. I think it, there's an element of it that is, for us, I think it's beneficial. And I think knowing when dipping out of it is really important because you can't be in a heightened state all the time. It just would be really unhealthy. But I think knowing when to like kind of uh, go into and come out, basically, let's yeah, like, I see it as a way of like it's having a toolbox and knowing when to tap into it and when not to. And I think that's that's a really crucial element of, I think, also, you know, being my background in psychology, I think that's been a massive benefit. Mm. But also, I think just my mentality, even before that, just, I think watching my mum and dad come through, like, hardship and going through it myself, you kind of come out on the other end and you just think, uh, you know, this mentality can actually be uh, used in different areas of, of my life. I have seen that in your fights. Like, they're always exciting. <laughs> There's the, the punch output's huge. And yeah, obviously you just don't back down. I've seen, I think maybe four, four of your fights maybe. Yeah. But it's always exciting. Like oh, you, thank you, you, yeah, you don't really step back, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. You don't see that a lot, a lot of boxers, like, like Terry said, you know, you might just have a high guard, try and try and think of a way to ride out around, but you're the complete opposite of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, Connor always said, he said, I was always more of a fighter than I was a boxer. And that is still true. Like I'm always up for get, like a fight when I get in there, it was a boxing that I found harder, if anything, you know? No when to step back from going toe to toe with someone. No when to like uh, use my my defense, uh, and then no when to pick it up. Because for me, I was just like you know we always joked about me being a Terminator, <laughs> and it was like oh go go all out or you just don't get in there. And it was you know finding finding like myself within that you know uh, knowing when to again dip in and out of like that kind of controlled aggression. So it's quite interesting. But obviously that element of it fighting is something that comes natural. I think. Boxing is something you can teach. You can teach yeah. someone to be a boxer, but a fighter is something that's, that's in you. you. You talk about your mentality, though, going back to it, to get to that stage where you would push on and other people would sort of run away from it. Yeah. What is it you, you mentioned about your dad and your mum, the hardships they went through? Yeah. Is that what pushed you? Is that what you think of when you're going past that stage? Or do you have certain skills or certain mindset yeah. to, get, to go there? I think, you know, I think... Uh... For me, I wouldn't say that's necessarily like what I go to when I'm in there. I think that's that's the foundation of my mentality, and that's what's helped it. But I think like my my go-to thing really is, I train really hard, like to the point where sometimes I feel sick and I'm just like, oh, I don't like. Sometimes I get nervous about like going to the tracks because I know how hard it's going to be. And for me, I'm just like I've done all those sessions for a reason, so you know I can perform really well here. Mm. That and gives that, you the confidence. Yeah, exactly. And then mm. I know because I you know I try and literally train my heart out. And then knowing that, okay, you've done this, you've done the hard work, now it's time to like use that hard work. But also like, I have this like weird tactic in my head that I use and, but, <laughs> I shouldn't explain it. Yeah, go on. 
basically like I imagine so obviously I, I love my dogs I, I adore them <laughs> I adore them so much and I'm like imagine that person here really wants to hurt your dogs and that's it I would just see red just if mm. I just put that, <laughs> put that in my head it's good that you found your switch yeah, yeah that is that is like oh I'm like oh your dogs are watching you right I need to impress them like show them you know that their mum's really you know powerful and it, it works because sometimes like uh, if I'm doing like my heel work and if Owen's not training, he'll like, he'll bring the dogs with him. And I'm like standing at the top of the hill. And I'm like, I'm, I run so much faster than knowing if they're there. Mm-hmm. And I know what it is, I, I look, I adore them dogs. And like, my dogs have been through really hard times with like Tyson, Mike Tyson, he's got uh, epilepsy. Um, not the real Mike Tyson. Not the, not the real Mike Tyson, my, my Mike Tyson, my Husky Tyson. Um, so he's got uh, epilepsy and like, he's, he's like a, he's like an actual born fighter. And that's why his name's so suited. And Bruce Lee, like, uh, growing up, he got attacked by, like, when he was a puppy, he got attacked by quite a larger dogs. Again, like, in my head, I'm like, my little dogs have gone through hardship, and now look at them, they're, like, glorious little beings. So, I don't know. How big are they? Quite big. Like, if they stand up, I'm, like, five foot two, and they're, like, their head's just slightly above mine. Wow. If they stand up. Can they stand wow. up quite easily as well? Are they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They can jump up on, yeah, on people easily. Not that they're, they're well-behaved, but if I wanted to, like, jump up, they'll jump. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I don't know, I, I, I cherish my dogs. My, my dogs have done a lot, like, they've brought a lot of love in the family during really hard times. Mm-hmm. So I, I cherish them, I love them, and it just reminds me of, like, my dogs remind me of, like, the life I have, and I cherish my life a lot. I cherish, like, I'm really grateful for a lot of things I have in life. And that is what, again, another motivator is that I feel privileged to be able to have a body that I can train and to have the freedom of training and I think for me a lot of my motivation goes back to that as well of being grateful for like just having a body that that breathes on its own and having the freedom to be able to do that and when you are training so obviously you said about peaking yeah um, like with your menstrual cycle etc yeah. how would you optimize that in your training what what did your training look like when, when you got to the elites, when you're fighting like free freeze? Yeah, um, I think for, for me then, I, and it was really good because I had the help of like, in terms of strength and condition, and Owen's like, uh, he's been doing that for 15 years now, so he's, he's really knowledgeable around that area, and it was having his input in it, but also in terms of like uh, weight management, we were, we were cautious of how much water I was drinking uh, when I was coming towards like the start of my menstrual cycle because water retention was naturally high. So you'd have to cut water even when you trained? Yeah, so I wouldn't, I, I would just, yeah, I would, re- I wouldn't cut, cut it, but it would just like a little bit sh- less than what I would usually have. I'm not a massive, like, I don't drink water much, um, which is a, probably a huge problem on its own, but uh, we were just cautious of that and also, uh, like, cutting out salt uh, throughout, towards the start of my menstrual cycle, and then uh, no sparring from, during, like, the first couple of days. Because, uh, of course, I, I wouldn't want, like, my around my ovaries taking any hits. Mm. Um, and then maybe, like, after th- day three or four, going back into sparring. Um, and, yeah, so we, we, we really utilised my menstrual cycle, you know, and um, use it to, like, I would say, to, yeah, definitely to my benefit. And I'd, I would definitely encourage, like, coaches or, or people that work with boxers or, uh, like, women athletes to actually look out there and look at apps that offer that. Because, you know, there's, there's plenty of apps now that you can look at um to try and track your menstrual cycle can you name any hmm. no i've got none on the top of my head no, no. no. um just google it yeah no there, there is i think that there is predominantly uh two and i know there is a uh, dr emma ross uh who's doing some great work on it as well so she done um the 
oh, what was it called? Oh, I've, compl- I've forgotten the name of it, but uh, it's always like the tip of my tongue for when I need it, it's not there. Uh, she's done a really great campaign with the English Institute of Sport. Um, and that was kind of, oh, it's called the Smarter Her campaign. And it basically talks about the menstrual cycle and why it's so important. And I would go to the Smarter Her campaign and look at the apps they recommend because that's the apps that would help you uh, track efficiently and also use it for training as well. And that's that was trialed, I think, with the women's Olympic hockey team. Mm. And they really, really enjoyed it. And then uh, the Smarter Her campaign then kind of pushed out to other sports. Cool. How do you reckon women's sport can be improved now, in t- especially within boxing? We're in 2022 now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've been. I know you're doing research on your PhD in like development and psychology and yeah. rugby yet right yeah. now. Yeah, women's rugby. Yeah, that's right. Do, um, do you still keep in contact with boxing? Are you still quite involved in the yeah, sport? Yeah, yeah, massively. Yeah. So I was just saying, let's say to Ash today that um, I've just linked up with a professor from Western University, and who's a sport historian. And it's been really interesting kind of getting his perspective from like a history perspective of uh, how women's boxing has evolved. He's a massive, uh, like, loves who boxes himself, loves boxing. Um, And I want to definitely do more work with him. I think once my PhD comes to an end, I want to really focus on women's boxing in terms of not only its development, but in terms of looking at mental health, literacy. So that's kind of where I'm specialising in at the moment in uh, in my PhD. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot of work that still needs doing in women's boxing hmm. whether that's amateurs or in the pro ranks i think there's a lot um there's a lot of room for development there's a lot of room for management there's a lot of room for making it inclusive um i think essentially it goes back to uh, uh i think essentially it goes back to um funding i think women's boxing needs to be uh, in, in amateurs be better funded uh and i think women boxers need they need to have equal access to resources the same as their male counterparts i think at gb level they certainly do england level yes they, they, they do. probably do right who's that sorry team gb team BG, the, yeah the yeah they've squad. actually dropped a weight in the in, in the men's in yeah. the men's so they yeah. can add another women's yeah, olympic sport so it's slowly slowly i think that transitions up but it's a slow process isn't yeah because yeah. men's boxing has dominated it for since the start of the olympics yeah yeah um, so yeah, so it's going to take time, but it's, it's good thing is athletes, as, as we said earlier, Katie Taylor, Nicola Adams, yeah. they slowly change it. They've helped change the culture of that. So um, as a sports psychologist, what advice can you give people to be better on competition day, whether it's a fight or a triathlon? Or... Yeah, I think it, uh, one thing I do always say is that I think approaches have to be tailored to the person. I think one thing in psychology is that, you know, this one size fits approach just doesn't work. I think... Uh, essentially it comes down to being prepared you know not just uh, physically but mentally as well I think uh, you know if you come into a race day or boxing event prepare yourself for what's to come so prepare for every outcome as well Mm. prepare for so in boxing you know you have certain different outcomes so you can even win a fight so visualize how that would look Uh, visualize yourself even you know if it doesn't go your way visualize that so you're prepared for that outcome if it comes to it so that element of shock is lessened to a certain extent. Prepare yourself for a draw, you know, uh, prepare prepare yourself for knocking someone out, but also prepare yourself for getting knocked out. There's only, of course, there's, you know, there's only so much you can do to prepare yourself for getting knocked out, but um, 
no acknowledge the fact that it's a possibility but without giving the energy that oh my god is that going to happen is this going to happen yeah I, th- I think touching upon that i think me mentally towards the beginning sort of end part of my career i was really focused on ah oh, what happens if i lose yeah that negative yeah. took over and that's what would happen in the fight yeah because even though i was winning the negative um element in my mind was like you need to you yeah. need to just calm down you need to slow down so i i, I would hit back against that little bit i think Visualize winning. Yeah. Visualize knocking you, you know, knocking out your opponent yeah. instead of visualizing you losing because yeah, that can no, actually go against yeah, you. Yeah, no, totally. And I think again, it goes back to that element of being prepared. I think it's being prepared for every outcome, but whatever outcome you want it to be. So in boxing, you know, it should be that like, you're, you're going to win. Mm. Um, and you know, some people have a certain way they want to win. I'm going to win in style. I'm going to knock this person out. All right, if that's what you want to do, then visualize how you're going to do it because, you know, there's research out there that's proven uh, why visualization you're more likely to achieve something. Visualize it, visualize, you know, don't just visualize you knocking someone out, but visualize how you're actually gonna do it. What punches are you gonna throw? What punches are you gonna miss? Uh, how are your footwork, you know, how is your footwork gonna get you to the punches that you're visualizing? So literally visualize every single step of how you're gonna get to that goal. If, if it is knocking someone out, if it is outpointing someone, visualize how you're gonna do it, visualize how you're gonna step in and out. You know, if it's a race, visualize yourself within the first K, within the second K, within the 10th K, um, but be prepared. You don't have to necessarily visualize it, but be prepared for other outcomes. So if anything else was to happen, that element of shock that it might hit you afterwards is a little bit less, it's a little bit softer mm, because okay. there was an element of preparedness to what you were doing. Because you see um, some people that they finally lose and they'll, they'll never be the same mentally. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I guess if you can understand it more, you're gonna bounce back better. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're speaking about this concept of, you know, when you really hit a low, it's acknowledging that you're at this low and then being able to pick yourself back up, where sometimes people just get stuck down there. And it is a place where we can just get stuck and not come out of it. Hmm. And that's where that problem arises of, okay, when do I seek help? Do I seek help? Do I not seek help? And it's actually acknowledging that and sitting with that feeling of, okay, for example, taking the example of taking a loss. Um, I've just lost this, you know, this bout. It doesn't feel good, you know, it's it's not what I wanted as a goal. Um, I knew that this could have been an outcome and then, yeah, it doesn't feel great. And that could, you know, that could be a process that might last an hour, it might last a day. Hmm. But it, then it's acknowledging actually after this, now I need to come back up again to okay. a more balanced state of, you know, I don't have to be super happy, but I, I don't want to be down here. Yeah, Turn it finding... to a motivator. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, using that as a, like a learning curve and it sounds a bit cliche, but you know, we do say in boxing, a loss isn't really a loss, it's a learning curve. We and don't learn. It, it really is, you know, you, you do learn from it. You learn so much from a loss. You learn, you learn you know, a lot from a win, but I think with that emotional connection that people have with losing, you learn of picking yourself back up again and getting yourself back onto the road of, okay, onto the next one. Yeah, appreciating um, those lows, to, yeah. to, to take those lows. Yeah. Your yeah. mindset from that low yeah. is so important. Yeah, for sure. I learned about this during one of my one of the lowest times I had was uh, towards the end of my career. I had a loss, and I was really low. And mm-hmm. I, I was supposed to go into the ABAs that year, and I said to my coach, "I'm not doing it. Yeah. I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm done. You know, that that really hurt me hard, hit me hard. Yeah. And yeah, I said I'm done. Uh, he said, "Fine, Terry, if you're done, you know, go out of it. Think about it. You have got a few weeks until you, the championships. You know, see if you want to do it. A, you know, a week later, gave me a call. I said, I want you to meet this guy." Um, I said, all right, yeah, come down, just down the gym, quite defeated. I'm still, yeah. still defeated from that, from that loss. And the, the guy, 
he told me about. Have you heard about the chip, the ape, the chip, the chimp on your yes, shoulder? Yes. Yep. 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 About that paradox. He taught me all about this. How to manage your chimp. Yeah. And instantly, it changed my thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Almost, like, I, I, I don't happen. I went back into the gym, and just turned into someone completely different. You yeah. stopped running off of emotions. Yeah, and straight away, everyone's like, you, you know, you, you look completely different. And went in the championships, and I won. I won it. Oh, the, wow, the, the um The belt in that yeah. contest. So it shows you how much you need to control your emotions. Yeah. Psychology. Yeah. Part, yeah. Plays massive part. Yeah, in it. for sure. And like you know, we were speaking about this earlier in the car, and we were saying like, uh, on the way here, actually, I was just working on someone's performance profile for 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 their uh, kind of psychological profile uh, for them coming up uh, competition that were coming up in a couple of months. And it, it plays such a huge role, such a huge role, such a huge role in performance. In the way that, you know, we prepare ourselves physically to the best shape we can be for 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 a bout. But actually, how much mental preparation have you done? And it's not just you know, it's not this element of I'm just going to write my goals down, and then I'm just going to visualize me winning. But actually, there's there's so much more to it. You know, um, what are your goals? Are they short term? Are they long term? How are you going to achieve them? And then looking at okay, are your targets realistic? Actually, are you going to achieve in a certain amount of time? Um, with your visualization, what are you visualizing? How are you visualizing it? Mm. What processes are you going through? And I do feel like sometimes uh, these kind of words, buzzwords, gets chucked around. You know, let's goal set, motivate yourself. But it's actually like when you break it down, how are you measuring it? What's, is it tangible? Because if we can't measure something, then we can't see progression in a certain way. Especially with the concept of like psychology, where you can't actually see it. You know, physically, for example, you'd be able to see like. I've got a bit of muscle, I've lost a bit of muscle, I've done this, I've done that, you know, there's visual representation that we can see, but with a psychological concept, it's it's more difficult to see it, you know, you know, people describe mental health as like an, it's it's invisible because we can't see it, as well as this psychological uh, concept in terms of performance, you, you know. You can sort of see it in people's actions though. Yeah, that, like so, it, and it really that comes, off. yeah, and that comes through uh, practicing, you know, psychology within your, within your training and really implementing like actual exercises so that it starts to show itself in, in your actions and i think yeah i think boxers could definitely uh, uh benefit from psychological interventions and i think there, there is a stigma attached with that's weakness there's a stigma attached yeah weakness, massively and i think people uh, attach this like psycho psychological interventions in sport as a thing that you 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 only uh, engage in it when you're at your lowest point or when you're when you feel defeated and it's like no 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 like you engage with it as you would engage with any kind of physical program you want to engage with something like for example you know we all know that mobility is really important and we'll stretch off and stuff to avoid injury so this should be the same concept you know you you in, uh, involve yourself in psychological practices to avoid you know suddenly becoming defeated and having this mentality of like, I feel really what low. What practices would you recommend? Like positive affirmations or I think, yeah, visualization? I mean, yeah, that it? plays a role, but I think essentially, you, I, I, if it was down to me, I think athletes should, as they have a strength and conditioning uh, personnel, as they have a physio, they should also be working with a psychologist because that's when you can have your check-ins, that's when you can you know, assess your goals, that's when you can uh, make it tangible and, and assess your progression. I think, yes, there are certain things that you can, you can implement like uh, as a starting point, you know, just setting short-term goals. I wouldn't even say necessarily setting really long-term goals, but start with short-term goals, see how that goes, see if that works for you, and then start setting long-term goals. Um, 
and then seeing, you know, really break it down. How are you going to work to it every single day? What are you dedicating to those short-term goals every single day? Because then again, it goes back to a level of, you know, uh, I've prepared myself for this and this and this, and this is what I'm going to do today uh, to achieve this goal in a couple of weeks. And then for, for me then to achieve my goal down the nine and six month time. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's tons of things you can do, but I know, I know that people really like goal setting and it is a great example. Yeah, I, I always felt like my confidence always come from my training. Yeah. Like every, every, if, as long as I didn't cut any corners and yeah. I had the sacrifice, I knew everything I was doing was right. Yeah. In my mind, I was always doing more than my opponent. I was yeah. always progressing every week. I was never doing the same thing. So like my training every single day, it was always bettering myself. And whenever I had a fight or whatever, I could, I could really feel that. I, I felt confident in myself going into a fight because of everything I'd ever done. Yeah. I, I don't think of any doubts of what if I lose. I, I felt prepared with all of the hard work, all of the sprints on the beat, all the all those sessions that you can remember. Yeah. All, all the sparring sessions. Like I, I used to treat sparring as well, similar like visualization. Yeah. Like the fight days, I would try and eat what I would eat on a fight day. I would try and implement the same mindset. That way, when it come to fight day. The nerves that I had, I, I was ready to just yeah, absolutely, them. yeah, yeah, so totally. For me, it's completely different. I only learnt about the sports psychology towards the end of my sort of yeah, and the last three do. fights. Uh, I learnt about it, and in my second fight, I didn't implement. It. I thought I don't need it now. Yeah, yeah. And that's the biggest mistake you can make is put you. If it helped you, you got to keep using it. Exactly. It? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. And I think it's. I think even with our training, you know, once your body. Uh, adheres to something and it gets used to it you've got to switch it up to you know to then shock the system and it's the same you know once you once your uh your mentality adheres to a certain behavior then you know you need to change certain techniques to then approach the next kind of phase of like okay actually in this area i'm like confident confidence for example okay how can we address that and that's where, again that's where like a psychologist will come in and uh kind of work with you to try and figure out okay what is the next step of, of me wanting to improve X, Y, Z. I think amateur coaches uh, need to be able to be open to these as yeah. well. Because it, we've got so much so much knowledge around sport now, so it's not just boxing, we need to focus yeah. on nutrition. We need to focus on psychology, yeah. strength, yeah. conditioning. And I think boxing, some, especially some of the old school coaches, they, they say, just do your road work. Yeah, do yeah. Your, do your thing. I, I think different though. I think coaches, if you've got 30 people, you can't manage all those things. I feel like boxers need to go out and seek for themselves what's best, yeah. trial and error. Like all of my weaknesses that I've had, like uh, for example, my legs. I always felt, I used to feel strong in my legs, but then I sort of only ever ran. And people think running's leg day, but it's not. Mm -hmm. right. In Australia, as, as soon as I started doing weights and strength conditioning, and I, I strengthened my legs and my back, as soon as I started focusing on all my weaknesses, I, I made I turned them into strengths. Yeah. And I felt like no coach would ever point out my weaknesses, would ever, would ever do that. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. That's the coaches say, just focus on your boxing. But then you need to be open-minded to say, no, I need different areas. To it, or coaches need to be said go and seek help from different areas yeah yeah um so that's where bigger team go. bigger team in the clubs imagine exactly. if yeah. every club had a coach a sports psychologist well this for the is club. the thing yeah, this is kind of perfect. what we're trying to push and so with the, my phd work in in women's rugby that's what we're trying to push is that every every club should be, essentially have their own kind of dedicated team uh, in terms of like their own expertise so a nutritionist a, a physio a psychologist uh and everyone holds that responsibility because essentially we can't expect the coach to do everything. I think, you know, the coach has mental, we need to consider their mental well-being as well and how much pressure they're taking on. Mm. And, you know, a coach won't know necessarily everything about every concept of the human body. 
So it's actually, then, and that's where that funding situation comes in, you know, it's having that funding in place so we can have, and we don't just prioritise it for, for the men's games, for example, we prioritise it for both women's and men's games so we provide everyone with an equal opportunity of being uh, essentially optimal as they can be. That's brilliant. Nice. And uh, last question, obviously, yeah. so you as on SAS Who Dares Wins, we'll yes. try and keep it short. Yeah. Can you just explain, so for people listening, uh, it was a big show on TV. They put you through what what the SAS Marines yeah. would do. I remember seeing you on that, turning on the TV. I was like, there I am. that can't be her. <laughs> and then I heard the voice. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, uh, SAS Who Dares Wins is a a very condensed version of some of the elements of what you would have to go through in terms of training uh, for the uh, the special forces, um, whether it's a special. Uh, Air, air, so you've got SAS which is focused on air and you've got SBS which is the special boat services um, so it was essentially just elements of it within like a 10-day period and they, they do they take like basically civilians and you apply for it and then you you, you get cut down from like 4,000 5,000 applicants to like the last 30 and then from that 30 it's like the last 20 wow. to being on the show yeah to then go on the show um, so I went on there I applied for a I went on there, I had two weeks notice, so they told me two weeks out before flying out to Scotland <laughs> that I was on it, and I was like, oh, and given that everyone there were, were told like, uh, so we flew out at the beginning of October, some people knew from August. So they had time to train and prepare mentally. Yeah, yeah, um, but I think again with, with my boxing and running background, I was, I, was tra I was actually training for the Nationals. At that moment, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll go in and give it another shot. Um, so I was actually training and I was I was uh, like looking to come back. I think I was about walking about 49, 50 kg. And what I should have been doing really, if I was going to go on, go on SAS Hidez wins, was put a bit of weight on because mm -hmm. it was going, it was so cold. Um, and yeah, they told me two weeks out and I was like, physically, I was like, yeah, uh, I've been training anyway. And like my lifestyle does include training anyway. Uh, it was more mentally, I was like, I need to mentally prepare myself. So I was having like uh, stupidly long cold showers, uh, sitting in like ice water, um, but mentally just trying to like prepare myself. I was, tr I was going to bed really late and waking up with minimal sleep for function. So again, I think that element of sports psychology played a huge role because uh, where I'd, I'd practiced then, I had a background in it. It really helped like when I actually got there. And it was, yeah, it was a really like, I would say, yeah, it changed a lot of things. I think about the way I I see my limits. Like I realised that this concept of limits is a, a concept that we place on ourselves, and actually limits can be broken. Like a mental barrier. Yeah, for mm. sure. And I think you know, of course, you know that there's there's like uh, I'm not going to be able to hold a hundred kg guy over my head because f physically that's like almost impossible. But actually, I can try and pick them up and put them on my back. Um, there's a lot of things that I can do that I didn't necessarily think uh, I could and that show yeah it really like opened doors in terms of the things that I realized I could do like I don't like being in, I don't like being in the cold full stop I was gonna say how did the cold water Cause yeah you to, it was it, it had grips with everyone and go underwater so you had like a, a full-on immersion underwater with waves coming to you and this was like in in Scotland in the middle of October with blow freezing waters and there is a lot and I always say this there's a lot of things that TV doesn't show you there was a lot that people just didn't see behind the scenes. There's a lot, and it's not like it's not it's not like people were like, oh, did you get to have a shower? And I was like, no. Like what you see is literally what was happening. Uh, we had we weren't given any extra food. We had the three meals a day. That was it. We didn't have any showers. We couldn't get changed apart from the clothes that we had on or our wet clothes. 
that was literally and I think there was this mis- misconception I think people thought there was a lot more going on in the background when they didn't mm-hmm. I don't know maybe because the, they have like a celebrity version and I don't know they're probably st- in five star hotels it now but it surprised me but that, their stuff definitely did look easier like far easier than what we had to go through what was your toughest challenge uh, I think for me I would say the water stuff and like I got hypothermia uh, towards the end um, and I couldn't feel anything um, and I, yeah the, the, the cold well, that was my biggest struggle because no matter how how much I tried my body was just shutting down and then even when to the point where I got hypothermia I was just like I tried to go but I was like my body just wasn't moving hey, how did it look after you in that situation I had medics at hand everywhere so when I, I think Anne recognised it really quick. Yeah, so I think, yeah, my biggest barrier was just dealing with the cold um, and just being cold 24 seven. And I had this like weird habit where I wouldn't sleep on my bed. I would sleep on, I don't know why, but I felt like, I felt more comfortable sleeping on the floor. So I would literally sleep like on my bag and behind my head, just like that, really straight like a mummy. And it was like a running joke between all of us. And we were like, oh, there you go, Shaq, she's going to sleep on the floor again. And I was like, yeah, I don't know why, I can't sleep on that bed. And it wasn't because it was far more comfortable in the bed. Like, logically, it was more comfortable. But I don't know why, I just I just felt more at ease being on the on the ground. I don't know why. Um, it's good was for it, you as well, Was it a concrete ground? Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah, that's why you were cold all the time. I would have been tucked up in bed with like a sleeping bed. Well, well, you, you only get like one or one or two hours sleep. You don't get that. much sleep anyway. Yeah. So like every mm. time you got, I got, I got my head down. It was just I did like I tried the bed the first two nights, and I was like I, I just couldn't. And I think it was because the the pole that joins the bed, my my pole just kept snapping out, so my neck was constantly like that, and I was like. Uh, I was like, well, it's either sleeping the other way, but I didn't like to sleep on the other way because then I couldn't see the door opening. As soon as the door opens, you know you have to get up and go. So I thought if I'm if I'm on the floor, it's got, I'm going to literally just need to tuck my shoulders onto my bag and run. And usually it was like the last one who gets out will usually get, get some sort of punishment. And it worked. Like, as soon as, it was way more efficient. And I was like, we're not going to sleep anyway. Like, every night we're getting waken up, like, after two hours. And also... every. Every night we had to go on a watch. Again, things I didn't, they didn't show on TV. So I was like, I'm going to get woken up in an hour or two anyway to go on, to go on a night watch. So. so teasing yourself with a bed, getting all comfortable, exactly. is probably the worst exactly. thing. You, exactly. you finally get switched off and then you, exactly. you'll come back to that stress. And that is, that's exactly what I didn't so want to do. you lived in that stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was like, I, that's exactly, you, that word teasing is like literally perfection there. And I, I never wanted to feel too comfortable because it was a false sense of comfort. And like even um, so, from trapped from getting to a place to a place, they would take us like in Land Ro- Land Rovers, and they'll put the heating on and stuff for us. And like people usually would nod off, and I would I would try so hard not to nod off because I was like, me nodding off is me being comfortable to sleep. And then I I was always just trying to stay as awake as possible because I hate the shock of like snapping out of it. And I was like, as as long as I'm uncomfortable, um, I'm fine because I'm not used to the feeling of being comfortable. And then towards the end, so I got to the last day where I was in, in interrogation before they put me off. Um, and I really intro- I enjoyed the interrogation in a really weird way because in my head, I was like, yes, we're in stress positions for hours. Yes, I've got babies screaming in my ears. But I was like, in my head, I'm not in the, I was like, I'm not in the water anymore. I'm not in the cold in the water where uh, I feel cold. I was like, yes, I'm still cold here because we still had all our wet clothing on. Mm. But I was like, I'm not in the water. So anywhere 
is better than the water. So you were content just with yeah. obviously going through that high stress. Yeah, yeah, Anything yeah. else was a win. Yeah, and I was like, right, I've stood here and I was like, um, I don't know, I was, I was like, I, can't, I have time and space now to really zone out and I would just zone out in these like, I think you get to a certain point. Again, we ha I hadn't slept for like two days by the time we were getting interrogated. Um, and then, I, yeah, I enjoyed it. And I think to a certain extent, maybe it might have annoyed the producers because at that point people are like, there were people like crying, moaning, um, but some people were just quiet and they were just like, yeah, whatever. And uh, I was just, I was just chilling. I was like, I'm not in the water. And my mindset was like, you, you, you found your own way, you, yeah. you, you found <laughs> yeah, your own way to get through it, didn't you? Like mentally you thought, I can't be any worse than this. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, yeah. And I was like, look, I'm so close to the finish line now. And that was a massive motivator for me. I was like, get through this next phase. And then whatever comes after that is done. How many days were you in there for? So it was nine and a half. So it took me off of less than 24 hours to go. Nine and a half. And how was the team team sort of atmosphere in there? Yeah. Was it quite a it was collaborative good. It, team? Yeah, it was like, there was like, there was a, it was a really cohesive like group of people. You know, we, we really got on, we helped each other out. I think we saw each other as like uh, the lowest of lowest points. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think when, when the team just got stripped down and down and down in terms of the numbers dropping, you know, we, we really saw like people's characters come through, especially in really stressful situations. Again, it was really interesting to see like even how like I would react in certain situations. Um, and it was it was good. Like I learned a lot again, like there was a backwards dive they had to do like from a really high platform and you had to like, cross your hands and go backwards. That, that was mad. Yeah, and I, yeah. I don't like, I'm not necessarily a fan of heights and then to go into water, I don't like water. I don't like the concept of water. Um, like I nearly drowned one time surfing and just because my surf would like wiped. Uh... You did surfing over there as well? No, no, I've got, oh, no, before, no, no, oh. in Scotland. No, so when fun. I was at like, uh, at secondary school or college, I, I did like surfing for a year. And just one time my, my surfboard like went under my foot from a wave and then I went underwater and then my surfboard came on top of me and I couldn't get back up. Mm. And just from just from stuff like that, and um, yeah, I was just like, I don't like the cold. And then from the height and then being backwards. But I think uh, just seeing other people do it and I was like, right, they're doing it, I'm gonna do it, it's fine. And then I was just like, in my head, I, I kept reassuring myself that you can do it, you can do anything you want, you can do anything you want, you can do it. And then one good thing was like, Anne would come up to me and he'd be like, three, two, one, and he had no choice but to go. You didn't have that time to just think about it. It was like, either go, or you're just gonna stand there look, looking like you didn't do it. And I was like, I'm not gonna do that. How so, high was it as well? Oh, I wouldn't know, maybe like 50 meters or something. It was okay. really high, because as soon as you you fall back, it's such a high, high, hard impact. And um, almost like whiplash, because yeah. of the water. But it was, it was, it's really empowering. I remember like, I. As soon as I came back from the water, I was smiling and like my friend came up with me, Kim, who I was really close with throughout the whole experience. And like, we were both smiling at each other. Like that was so, you know, we can't believe we both done it. Um, and we both spied it and made us box each other as well, which I was like a bit annoyed because uh, technically because of a size difference, I should have, I should have spied someone uh, more closer to my weight. There was someone else who was, uh, so I was the smallest one. There was another girl who was just a little bit uh, taller than me and I should have spied her, but I think they put me and Kim together because we really got on with each mm. other. But even though like, like Kim was really game for it, I was like, we just got to do it. And um, yeah, it was really fun. Like I wasn't gonna go and like smash, smash and like knock her out or anything. I'm not about that. But it was, she was game, the, and I was the, game. That was the that was the rule of it, though, right? Yeah, you had to like you had to go all out. But I knew that Kim would match my level. She would go all out, so we can go all out. But then at the end of it, Kim was like, "Mate, I knew you could knock me out, but you didn't." And I was like, "I'm not." 
I'm not here for like glory. Yes, we're going to go all out, but I'm not going to physically knock you out. It's a TV show. I'm not going to knock you out. Like mm. that's not that's not what I'm, that's, I don't want to do that. Uh, especially to someone that I've got to know in a relatively short space of time, and to know that Do you still keep in contact with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's over in America now. She's part of the Apple Fitness Group. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, oh, she's wow. doing incredible. I'm really happy for her and her partner. Um, and yeah, no, it was just, yeah, it was really good. And like, and, and we both said we're going to go hard. Like, and again, I'm I'm really glad I met someone who was so similar in so many ways. And how were you coming out of it? Did you feel like a completely different person? Yeah, I came I came out and like uh, to be honest, I hit above a low because I came out for two weeks. Uh, I couldn't sleep. I I was really alert. I was so alert, like overly alert about everything. Um, and then after that two weeks of like coming back to reality and like letting things settle in and also I didn't like the way I, I exited it was it was forced I didn't have a choice in it mm. and I didn't agree with the way they took me off uh, it was really unethical it was for again on TV they made out like I had anxiety in terms of like it was a, a long term thing and I, I didn't I, I remember your reaction to it as well yeah and, and, okay, yeah, and, and there was a lot of things there was a lot of miscommunication behind the scenes from the way it was communicated to me I had I thought in that precise moment in time that my dad had passed away from the way that someone communicated something with me. And so I'm in this hysteric mode because I, I thought someone had said, uh, we're taking you off uh, because it was related to my dad's death. And I, I was just like, what's going on? Has something happened I don't know about whilst I've been away? Yeah. Um, and that just like mentally, that really messed with me. Um, and there was a lot of miscommunication. And when I when I came out and I spoke to the psychologist, I was like, "You have to put me back on, because what just happened wasn't right." And then they apologised, but they were like, the, "The producers are not letting you back on." And then Foxy and Anne went over and spoke to the producers. The doctor um, went over and spoke to the uh, to the producers. Was like, "Yeah, she's, she she can go back on. We've cleared her." But producers were like adamant. It probably had something to do with me like swearing at them. Then I came off and being like, "All of this is put on. You know who's going to win." Um, I was like, you didn't want me to win. And Did you think it was fixed then? I, I wouldn't say it was necessarily fixed, fixed, but I think that had, by that by that point, they had like people in mind. and stuff, maybe, yeah. that are giving air time. Um, yeah, and I think there were people that they, they were like, yeah, he'll pass it. So you're TV friendly, maybe. In, yeah, know, and maybe. I think I think maybe someone that people can like a lot of people can relate to, hmm. because I'm like, who's going to relate to a five foot two Iranian girl? Like, not many people. Who's going to put themselves through this? Probably not many people that are watching the show. But not I don't know. that people relate to you. I think a lot of people probably admired you and probably wanted you to win for completely different reasons. I think I think coming off it, there was so much love that I wasn't expecting, and I'm not going to lie, that really like overwhelmed me in a really amazing way. And I'm again always appreciative and I'm, like uh, grateful for that. And so just the amount of love was amazing. And I I didn't know because I was like people are not going to relate to me as a person. But actually, but they, they saw could... you on TV, put yourself through such tough challenges. Yeah, exactly. That they, they admire you as a person. And I, I didn't see that part of it at all. And again, it was really nice to come, come to so much love when I came out of it. And there was like a few, uh, like really hateful comments. Like someone was like, oh, "I want to shoot her in the head," and I was like, wow. "Okay, cool." But for every like negative comment, there was like twenty positive comments. Um, you're always going to get those idiots. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, I just stayed off. Like, I'm not a fan of social media anyway. But even at that period period in time, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna not check anything. But I was like, it is what it is. But coming off it, of, like, uh, I, I built a really great relationship with Foxy. Um, uh, did like some brand ambassadorships for Foxy's and Ollie's brand uh, Battle Ready 360, <laughs> which was a really amazing opportunity. Get getting to like work with them guys and 
um, like Foxy had offered support from his charity Rock to Recovery, him and his friend's charity Rock to Recovery, and they helped with my dad with his PTSD. Um, so my dad served in the Iran-Iraq War, and um, he he, got, he was diagnosed with PTSD years ago, and something that of course he he still uh, has to deal with to this day. But through Rock to Recovery, he uh, was really able to get some really specialised support from fellow veterans and for him that was like life-changing mm -hmm. and yeah I'm really like I would forever be appreciative of, of that and that came off you know going on a tv show for 10 days and you know having Foxy support my dad in that way it was just just incredible and like I'm so thankful for that opportunity that arose amazing definitely yeah. credit to you Thank for you. going on that show and Thank having you. such a great input a great um reaction and Represent yourself so well. Thank you. I love that. I'll do it again if I could. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on as thank well. Thank you very much. Oh, no, That's been you. brilliant. We'd oh. love to get you on again and get some Q and A's. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. Some some listeners as yeah, well. Yeah, I'll be up for that. Really up for that. Guys, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, Shaq, what, do you, if you want people to hook you up on Instagram, LinkedIn, what have you got? A yeah, Instagram so Twitter. Page? I'm, I'm quite active on Twitter. Yeah. So it's literally uh, the app, and then Shakiba Magadam. Um, if you literally look up Shakiba, I know. We'll put it. Yeah, so if, we'll yeah, if you guys link it up. But yeah, I'm, I'm quite active on Twitter. I post that quite a lot of my research I do with my PhD and kind of things I'm involved in. So yeah, definitely check it out. Great. Check out Shaq. Uh, guys, thank you very much all for listening and we'll see you soon. Take care.